Welcome to Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story. It's the second season, and I'm glad that you're able to join me. Last season, there were 12 episodes that covered the plights of the Ethiopian, Yemenite, Ashkenazi, Circassian, Sephardic, Bedouin, Far East, amongst others, and finished with my own Mosaic story. This season, I'm going to introduce you to Israeli citizens. On Israel Mosaic, I'm going to let you hear from the Israeli people who will share their stories in our land. Some of the Israelis you will hear from made their way here to Israel, and others were born and raised here. The one thing they all have in common with each other is their unequivocal love for the land that they live in and affectionately call home. On today's episode, I'm coming to you from the home of Yosef and Gabriella Danieli. Yosef Rachamim Danieli is an author, biblical teacher, and an experienced tour guide. His wife, Gabriella, is a potter and musician. She plays the harp, piano, and guitar. They are both national treasures of Israel. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Yosef, who is also affectionately known as Rami. Yosef, I want to start off by saying thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to take part in this interview. Thank you so much. A pleasure to be with you. Tell me, Yosef, where were your parents from and what was their journey like coming to Israel? Well, I cannot say much about the journey because I was not born yet. Back then, it was 1951. They came from Persia, Iran. And uh, I was born uh, eight years later here in Israel. So I think they just flew, flew in. It was when uh, the Shah, the previous uh, regime in uh, Persia was, you know. So we had good relationships with Israel, and so they did not have any problem coming in, actually. They need to give up quite much uh, back, but they wanted so much to be in Israel to, you know, to come back to the land of their fathers that they did it. So you were born here in Israel, and that was in the 50s. Israel was a lot different then than it is now. Can you tell the listening audience a little bit about your own family and just what was it like here in Israel in the land in the 1950s? Well, it is much, much, much different than what it is today. You know, when you travel today through the country, you can see, and if you've been to Europe or to America, it's in some aspects, it's more developed than the West here in Israel. Beautiful infrastructure, beautiful roads, highways. But uh, forget about it when you compare it to the 50s. Uh, Israel was... uh, a miracle, you know, to be born in 1948 after almost 2,000 years of wanderings among the nations. And when they came, actually when the first pioneers came, long before Israel was established, I'm talking about 1890s, okay? Towards the end of the 19th century, when they came, it was just a big swamp, I can say, oh, just desert place and uh, malaria and other diseases, you know, and the pioneers actually were the ones who prepared it for the Israelites who immigrated to the state of Israel, you know, after 1948. So uh, when my parents came here, they actually lived in uh, tents, in tin houses, very, we call it Ma'abara, how would you say Ma'abara in English, I don't know, K 
camp, maybe a camp, but very, very, <laughs> not camp in a sense of vacation, yeah? Very, just to put a bunch of people in the same place, you know, in the mud sometimes, you know, with no infrastructures. So that's how they lived for the, the first 10 or so years of their lives, yeah? I remember as a little child, you know, I must have been two, three years old. When you get your memory, they say, after two or three years of age, probably I was around three years of age. And I still remember the tin house that we used to. It looked like a shack. And the rain actually came through the roof, you know, and it was muddy outside. And we dug around, you know, like a, a drainage system. I mean, you know, just almost with our hands. So, so the rain will not come into the house, yeah if you could call it a house. And of course, we, it came like a betonade house, you know, beton houses. And uh, yeah, life was not easy, but uh, they were very much pioneers and lovers of the land of their fathers. So they came anyway. This is the story not of only my parents, but every individual almost who came those years to, to Israel. Only three years after the establishment. Yosef, you come from a very big family, and I believe you're the youngest of the many kids that are in your family. Can you describe to me just what was it like being the youngest in your family, and what were some of the challenges that you had to go through personally in your own family? Well, yes, I'm the 10th. I'm the baby. I'm 62 years old baby now. Uh, And you know, I lost my father when I was nine. So, actually, the ones who really raised me were my, my sisters. I have seven sisters and one brother. Another sister, which is missing, died as a child in Persia, back in Iran. That's what I was told. So, right now, we are nine, two brothers and seven sisters. They actually, they were the ones who raised me, for good or bad, you know. I was not exactly a disciplined child after my father passed, you know. It's a kind of... A, patriarchic uh, mindset in Middle Eastern, you know, uh, Persia. So when the father dies, everything is collapsing, actually, yeah, in the family. So that's what happened, really. And my mother died when I was 18, two months before, actually, I joined the army, the IDF, Israeli Defense Force. How was it? I mean, <laughs> I don't remember much of it, you know, but... Uh, Life was much, much, much more simple. No uh, phones, no Wi-Fi, no movies. I remember as a child, there was only one, actually two black and white TV sets in the neighborhood. So we used to play, and then we wanted to watch our, you know, our favorite program. We used to go in to one of our friends' house, one of the two, only two, which had black and white TV. Yeah. You come from a Persian family, and Persia is in the news. Now it's called Iran, but Persia has a history. We think of Persia in the Bible with Queen Esther. That story is known by so many people. Can you describe to me just some of the Persian culture or some of the traditions that Persia has that you grew up with? The Persian uh, culture is a Middle Eastern culture, typical Middle Eastern, which means very warm. It's like uh, if you know about uh, Bedouin hospitality, yeah, Arab hospitality, or Sephardic Jews, and that's what we are considered to be. All those Jews who came from the East or Middle East are considered Sephardic Jews. 
and uh, very warm culture, very, very family-oriented. Yeah. But again, all of this in my personal life broke when my father died, because the father is the center, is the pillar, the main pillar upon which all the walls of this house are built. And when he died, you know, everything broke. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is as much as I can say about the Persian culture. We still add the Persian food, which is... Uh, Uh, very, very much based on rice, <laughs> rice and chicken, and uh, very sour rice, rice which is cooked in, with lemons or limes, you know. That's what I remember, okay? And lots and lots of greens, okay, like from the vegetable garden, yeah. And uh, yeah. Just listening to your story and hearing about your dad passing when you were a little child, I couldn't just let that go because I feel so many people in the audience, especially men, deal with this phrase that you've heard called father wound in your life. Did you deal with a father wound? Have you overcome that or how did that shape you? Wow, quite a penetrating uh, question, but it's okay. I will be as transparent as I can be with you. To overcome the hole which uh, an absence father leaves you with, in my opinion, you can overcome when you yourself die. I'm 62 almost next month, Lord willing. So yes, I dealt with it. I went to prayer sessions, you know. But the solution is really to get intimate with the Father, God. But those who lost their fathers in a young age, including myself, they have a problem to have the real Father God image. You know, a good father, perfect father. So I'm still struggling with it, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, I think, you know, a lifetime struggle, but it's okay. Like uh, Shaul from Tarsus, you know, in the New Testament said that he complained to God about this uh, thorn in his flesh. Every one of us has to deal with the thorn in the flesh that God left him with till the day he dies. And this is what I'm struggling with, and it's okay. God is good. I can at least proclaim it even without feeling it at most times. This is faith. Faith is really declaring things or trusting things that are not seen, as you know. So uh, it's faith. I believe in a good father. <laughs> Rami, that's what I appreciate so much about you, you know, your openness and your realness to talk about some of the painful things that life throws at us. Just transitioning a little bit more, You mentioned that you served in the army, and the listening audience, many of them know that as an Israeli citizen, army is mandatory. You have to serve in the army at a certain age. What was it like there, and did you serve in any war for Israel? Uh, no, not, not war. I was part of an operation in Lebanon. Yeah, but uh, thank God I don't think I killed somebody. You know, I was a medic. I was a medic in the army. And, you know, which means helping people, <laughs> not killing people, thank God. So, uh, I mean, back then, you are a macho. You want to be <laughs> in the front. But now, from my age, I can tell you in a perspective, thank God, I was not involved really in the war. Just this small operation, the Litani operation. Uh, how was it? Again, the father absence was very, very, uh, how do you say, tangible in the army. Because, again, When you are not disciplined by a father, <laughs> your father and mother, actually the booth camp that you take in the Israeli army, they tell you one thing. 
then keep repeating it all through the three months or, you know, wherever you are, wherever you are stationed. If you're a combat unit, you need to do three months at least of boot camp, yeah? And in the boot camp, they say, forget about father or mother. Uh, because I'm your father and mother. And uh, the one who says it is one year older than you usually, one or two years older than you, yeah? And uh, they break you in order to shape you. This is what boot camp is all about. So, um, yeah, I started as a combat unit and then I moved on to be a medic. Later on, finished as an officer. And, yeah, that's all on the principal level. Yosef, where did you meet your wife, who is here with us today, helping along with this interview? Uh, my wife I met on my research for God, actually. Actually, more specifically, uh, my research of whether or not Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah. I was searching it because a friend of mine told me about Yeshua. And uh, on my research, I came to a place in Elat, the city of Elat, the southern tip of Israel. And Gabriela Gabi, my wife, my sweet, sweetheart, was there. And she was an au pair of a family, you know, a nanny. The family was a family of believers in Yeshua, Messianic Jews. And that's where I met her the first time. So I have to ask you, was it love at first sight? You, you want the honest answer? <laughs> well, love, love, not as we call it now. I mean, uh, back then I was pretty mischievous. I was quite a rebel. Let's call the baby by its name, yeah? I was a rebel, and all I was interested was girls. And uh, Gabby was already one year as a believer. And she was interested in God. I was in girls. Both starts with G. Yeah, I was interested in the little G. Yeah, with all that it includes. And uh, so I was astonished by her beauty. The blonde, you know. And you know, we are the, the Israelis at least. The dark, uh, olive-colored Israelis like me, we are attracted to the opposite. Blonde, with blonde hair, with bluish, you know, uh, eyes, yeah. So I was attracted to her, but to say that I fell in love, it was only when we continued our relationship in Europe that I really fell in love with her. How has your wife, early on, maybe in your marriage, helped you with some of the past? How has she been able to be right by your side and take you through the many waters that life throws at us? Well, well. <laughs> uh, you know, like the, the English phrase, you know, I married up. On me, you can say I married up. Gabby, probably if she would be honest enough, she would say she, she married down. Yeah? <laughs> we are coming from complete opposite. Opposites, you know. So, uh, but I'm talking about character. I married up. She is a very strong woman and uh, strong-willed, but very strong also in the faith. And uh, she suffered a lot. I mean, uh, especially with my tendency to, to be down, to be low, you know, depression and all this. So, in the beginning, at least, in the first five to 15 years or so, of our marriage. So she suffered a lot and she hanged on. A woman of excellence, if you want a definition, 
you come and interview my wife. You mentioned the word faith a lot when you're talking today, and I'm listening to it, and I'm, I'm hearing a person who has faith, who trusts in God. When did you come to know God? When did you have faith in Him for the first time? Can you take us to that moment or that place? Do you remember trusting in God, having faith? Well, I cannot uh, bring you back to a certain moment. My story is not like, oh, in July 15, at 14.00, 2 p.m., I met the Lord, <laughs> and it changed my life. No, my story is actually spread around lifetime, but actually it started on my last year in the army. When I heard from this friend of mine about Yeshua, I started my research, which included also meeting my future wife, as I've told you before. When my mother died two months before I joined the army, I was quite bitter against God. So I did not look for God. I was bitter, I was a rebel, as I told you. I, I don't think I even believed there is a God. And if there is a God, he's an evil one. Okay? Taking my father at age nine, and now my mother from cancer, which consumed her within one year. So I was not exactly pro-God. <laughs> till my father died, till I was nine, we were a traditional Masoretic family, going to synagogues every week, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the feast, etc., etc. Not Orthodox, but Masoretic, traditional Jews. But uh, again, then it collapsed. And uh, as time passed since he died, it became more secondary and secondary, you know, the faith in God in our lives. So when I met him, I still meet him <laughs> today, you know, by faith. But uh, the beginning really was when... Gabby and myself were uh, hitchhiking in Europe. She was uh, hitchhiking to a place where they had evangelical um, sharing, you know, uh, in the streets, somewhere in Nordweig in Holland. And I was just a released Israeli, you know, released from the army, Israeli uh, young man. And uh, again, all I wanted is just fun. And uh, we were hitchhiking to that place. And the first time God really touched me was when I was with believers, among believers who did not push it on me, who told me, coffee, food is on us. You can stay as long as you want. It was about four or five days convention or whatever you call it, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we stayed in a tent, some of which reminded me of my boot camp. They were very small, two-person tents. That's where we stayed. It was summertime uh, in Nordweig, Holland. And uh, I remember that, uh, just to make a long story short, I observed them, the people, the believers. And you know, Yeshua said, one of the things that Yeshua said, by the love amongst you, they will know that you are my disciples. This is my testimony, actually. If you want to, you know, uh, pinpoint, yeah, was that I was very impressed by the people there. And one night I was in my tent after watching them for a while, how they behave, how they are, you know, respecting each other, how they pray to the God of Israel, which I, none of them was Jew. So I, I was very uh, surprised, yeah. Gentiles, those pagans, they are, <laughs> they believe in my God? What have they to do with my God, yeah? And uh, I was lying in my sleeping bag, you know, just in my tent, I was alone. 
And this was my sinner prayer. You want to hear how it went? Hey, you there, pointing to God. <laughs> I don't know how to call you. Whatever you are, I don't care. The only thing, if you really exist, give me what they have. Meaning they, <laughs> the people who hosted us. And immediately I felt a heat wave. I was on my back, in my sleeping bag, from the head, which, how do you say, fraction of a second, not even a minute, zoop, washing me down through my toes. And uh, I remember I felt so wonderful. It was warm. You know, it was such a feeling of acceptance. And today, back then I didn't know. Today I know it was the Holy Spirit, yeah? Uh, without me even asking, you know? <laughs> I was very honest with my prayer, but he's a gracious God. I just remember that I scratched my head and I said, wow, interesting, what was it? It was wonderful. And I fell asleep. Yeah, as simple. And uh, the next morning, I cannot say I was changed to 180 degrees, but I was more hungry for the Word of God. I asked him questions. I, I took part, you know, participated in the Bible studies, etc., etc. This is one time he touched me. That's how I experienced God. And of course, I'm teaching the Bible now, so I experience him while, not with audible voice, not with anything tangible, but... I have revelations, some of which you will read in my book. <laughs> so this is the way that I know God, the God of Israel. Thank you, Yosef, for sharing part of your story with us today. Join me next time on Israel Mosaic, Land People's Story, when I continue my interview with Yosef Rachamim Danieli. In part two, Yosef will be sharing about his book entitled, Moses Wrote About Me and giving meaningful insights into the Hebrew mind. See you next time.